0: Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nation's Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, editor in chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision-makers. This week I'm talking with three more leaders from the Prosper Forum held recently in Amelia Island, Florida, where NRN was a media partner. If you're a longtime listener of Takeaway or if you are a regular attendee of industry events, there is a good chance you've heard from one, if not all, of these guys before. Today, my guests are Andre Venner, co-founder of Doghouse, Jeff Alexander, president and CEO of WowBow, and Josh Halpern, the CEO of Big Chicken. They represent three fast casual concepts that are growing quickly with innovation and talent development at the core of everything they do. I sat down with each of them individually at Prosper to learn more about their ongoing ongoing efforts to innovate and grow. And each provides a fascinating look at how exciting young brands can scale while protecting 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 the authenticity of the ideas that made them exciting in the first place. In this conversation, you will learn more about why carryout innovation is key to alleviating fee fatigue, why you can't grow without innovation, and how you should train your Gen Z workforce jumping now into my interviews with andre venner jeff alexander and josh halpern also don't forget to stick around after the interview as i will share my seven takeaways from this discussion actionable insights that you can take with you on the go okay andre venner of doghouse andre welcome to the podcast thanks sam i don't think we have to repeat your story of doghouse because our listeners have probably heard it by now but you guys have really big news today what did you guys announce just today
1: Today uh, is a big day for us. We uh, brought Michael Montagno to the team uh, as our CEO. So we're uh, very excited to have him be part of the team. We figured somebody like him would be the perfect person to take Doghouse to the next level.
0: So Michael, of course, was with Kitchen United. And what, what do you think he brings to Doghouse, especially from Kitchen United?
1: Well, I mean... First of all, Michael, as an individual, is an amazing person. Uh, I think what's important for our company is somebody who could fit in with our culture. Uh, he's been on our board for three years. He understands the business very well. Um, but what's amazing uh, about him and his background, not only coming from a financial and uh, legal background as well, but he was a CEO for Kitchen United, which was really a big tech company. And what we're realizing in our industry is tech is everything. So it's just something that is beyond my pay grade, beyond Hago and of my partner's pay grade, to uh, to run a business that now everything's, you know, how quick can I get my food? How could the temperature be perfect? What way can I pick it up? How can I reach the audience? What are all the different, you know, ways that we can mix with our virtual brands the uh, the basket to have one brand be in the same packaging or same bag to go uh, as the other brands. So Michael worked. You know, Google Ventures is one of the biggest um, partners for um, for Kitchen United, and so I think just bringing that that world of technology into Doghouse will really help us, um, you know, grow. Plus, his connection of of people and being in the industry is is amazing. So of course, Doghouse wants to continue developing. So our goal is to open up another fifty stores in the next two years. And so we figured he'd be the perfect person to do that.
0: I mean, you guys are 11, 12 years old now. Why did it take so long to hire a CEO?
1: Well, I think uh, what we want to do is we felt like we knew what we were doing, the three of us. So, um, you know, we all acted acted as a three-headed monster. And um, we were going through a uh, looking at possibly doing a Series B financing at one point a year ago. And when we were talking to a few uh, groups out there, they were like, okay, what's the succession plan? Or what are you thinking? Or who's going to take you, who could get this company to the next level, you know, move it up? And we're, you know, we're good at being entrepreneurs, creators. And I think once we got to our 50th store, we're about 60 right now, um, we realized we need somebody who could actually scale this appropriately. And so we felt like we were um, um, comfortable doing it. I could be honest with you, we were thinking about bringing somebody on three years ago, and um, just we had to find the right person. And Michael, who resides in Pasadena, his son goes to school with my daughter, so we're stuck, stuck being friends for at least six more years. It's <laughs> better work uh, then. <laughs> I told him, I said, if you don't do a good job, you know, I'm going to have my daughter say, say some rumors about your son. <laughs> now, um, no, we're, uh, it's, he lives in the community, so that's when you could find a CEO that – is from your community that under, who knows all your team. I mean that's the best thing when we introduced Michael to the staff. He just walked in and said, "Hey, everyone, we have an announcement." And everyone's like, "Yeah, happy." So like um, that was a cool thing to do.
0: Sure. So what will Michael be able to do now as CEO? What what's your I guess mandate as a founder for him to do for this company in the coming years?
1: So the first, I mean, mandate is to continue the company culture to treat everybody like their family, which they are, and I think that's the most important thing because if he treats our our staff at corporate um, like family, they then treat the franchisees and pass down the culture like family, which then goes down to their staff, which eventually goes to the customer. So I think that's the most important, uh, I guess you could say, mandate. But his goal is to continue uh, managing our EBITDA at the high percentage that it is uh, to To open two stores a month for the next two years um, and to, uh, you know, sell another couple hundred stores. Um, so he's really going on the d- development end of it, but at the same time just making sure the customer experience is, uh, like, spot on with technology. Yep. And then, um, you know, I don't think he has to do too much on the culinary end. You know, everything there is dialed in, so just making sure that, you know, systems are in place and to continue making the food... Um, you know, as excellent as it has been.
0: You've mentioned technology a few times. And I mean, you guys were really were out ahead of the virtual brand movement. Even before the pandemic, you guys were doing that. Technology, of course, being sort of the the engine to that. What's the future of technology at Doghouse? And how do you feel like Michael's going to help you fulfill that?
1: Well, I think uh, for us with the virtual brand still, which is, uh, you know, I don't even want to call them virtual brands anymore. Cause some of them are just brands. That uh, we're even looking at this year to open our um, badass breakfast burrito into a brick and mortar, so um, that's going to be some exciting news. But I think with technology is, you know, we're revamping our uh, first party loyalty app. Something it's a big thing. We want to make sure that we can mix and match, you know, the the all the virtual brands to being into one, you know, one experience. So if the kid wants the plain cheeseburger and the dad wants the badass breakfast burrito and and mom wants a salad. Then she could get all three, you know, you could get all that from three different brands into one bag. Um, I think that's gonna be key. I also think uh, a real big thing that everyone needs to lean on is not only, you know, the reorders at the tables, because we're kind of, you know, we're a beer garden. So, like, to have that QR code, to be able to scan it, to say one more round of beers, and have it come to your table without getting up or talking to anybody, I think is an important part. Um, I remember speaking at a conference where I had to talk about like Gen Z. Fifty-four percent of them would prefer to order on an app or a kiosk and not deal interact with somebody. Right. And also, when you start seeing the 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 data on people with the kiosk, the upsell, the the check average is way higher because it's like, okay, I'm not going to ask for that cookie because someone's going to look at me a certain way. I'm going to just go ahead and order that on the kiosk and will come to my table and they don't know it's all all this food I'm ordering is for myself. And it's it's just the average check goes up like. I think it's like 16%, 17%. Don't hold me to that one, but it's it's higher. So we want to make the reorders a great thing at the beer gardens. We want the kiosk ordering. And then I think the next thing that's uh, the sleeper that I know people have talked about, but, you know, pickup is something that's going to be, I think, really key. Because if you think about it, um, I love In-N-Out Burger, but it takes 20 minutes, 30 minutes to get in a drive-thru. People will still wait for that to get that burger. If I could have somebody pull up in my car with a flyby kind of app, and then just meet me outside with my bag and keep going, I mean that's ridiculous. That's like ten times better than than a drive-through. Mm-hmm. So if I could have the convenience of just, you know, pickup, I think that's going to be something that's going to be a big uh, a big portion of of our business. Yes, people want delivery, but they're also starting to look at the fees and everything and what it actually costs to get to your to your office, your house. Mm-hmm. But if you're driving home and you could just pull over and get the pickup, I think that's going to be a, a, a big, I think that will be a major part of our, our segment for QSR.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Andre Venner of Doghouse. Andre, thanks again for joining.
1: Thanks, Sam. Take care.
0: Okay, hey, I'm sitting with Josh Halpern, the CEO of Big Chicken. Josh, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Always a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the incredible growth of big chicken. You guys are growing like crazy. Um I'm especially interested in talking about how you can sustain that growth because, you know, people who are more inexperienced growing this quickly. It yeah. wheels could come off. How are you making sure the wheels don't come off?
2: You know, it's it's a couple things. First off, you know, the areas where you need to be consistent in your supply chain and in your training and in your standard operating procedures. We really built that consistency prior to us starting franchising, right? Because we really felt like in order for us to grow, we had to set the capabilities for growth the right way. Um, One of the things that we're quickly learning is, you know, no matter how much you think you have it all together, you you don't, right? And especially in this day and age, one of the hardest things to replicate at scale quickly is culture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as as we build out our C suite, the the next head that we're actually bringing onto the C suite is actually a senior vice president of people and culture, who's being brought in before we even have like a full time CFO and a full time CMO, which may seem crazy to some, but it's this notion of we could have great operations, but unless we really stand up the culture the right way and integrate that culture and the operation together, it will be hard to continue to grow at the rate that we're growing. I mean, two years ago I started with Big Chicken, two years four months, not that I'm counting, right? <laughs> Um, but it's uh, we had two units open, four on the way. Today we have 26 open, and we have over 300 on the way. Wow. So we're quickly reaching that size where we need to take care of, of all of the things necessary to help us go wide and tall.
0: Right. Well, and of course, Shaquille O'Neal being the founder of the brand, the face of the brand, uh, there's culture coming from him purely because there's brand coming from him. So how do you leverage Shaquille and what you can do with his brand yeah. power to build culture?
2: I mean, Shaquille refers to himself as the chief fun officer, <laughs> and and I don't know which company he means, right? Because I claim it, Carnival claims it, Papa John's claim it. I mean, I think America claims it at this point, <laughs> right? But but he is, right? We're about big fun. So it's how do you have these great operations built on very serious principles? How do you build very serious businesses but how do you do it with a really fun flair? And, and we're constantly working continuous improvements, one of our major values. It's one of Shaquille's major values. How do you wor- continuously improve on driving a fun experience with not just your, uh, your guests but also your team?
0: Mm-hmm. So thinking about some of the infrastructure that you're building, you're, you're building culture. You're hiring people. How, what else are you doing for the infrastructure of Big Chicken to make sure as you go from 26 to 300 plus, yeah. it's holding it
2: together? It, it's really two things. And one is on the employee side, the team side, and one is on the guest side, right? So on the employee side, you know, we really need to recognize our, our employees are becoming more and more Gen Z, mm-hmm. late millennial to Gen Z. Um, we need to make sure that all of, our, all of our practices reflect a Gen Z workforce and not kind of the traditional way of working. When I got to the company, we started training binders. You know, in the next two months, we're going to have a, a gamified training program, right? Um, because that's the way Gen Z wants to capture information, right? They're not looking to go to Chicken University. They're looking to have eight-second TikTok hit videos on, you know, how, how to do things the right way. Um, you know, you and I, we had performance reviews our entire life. Gen Z doesn't want a performance review. They want feedback at the end of every shift. Mm. So how do you do that, right? So if we go with the notion, I mean, the very first conference I did in this job was two years ago. And I said in 2020, 35% of QSR fast casual workforce was, was Gen Z. In 2022, it was 69%. Think about that flip, right? Yeah. So uh, we know that we very, very much need to focus on Gen Z. Uh, from the guest side, you know, it's interesting. Um, you have kids. I have kids. We've talked a lot about our kids over the, over the last few years. Um, how often do you make the fast food decision in your household relative to your kids? Like, I never, never make that decision. Never. Right? <laughs> no. So, like, we have four fast casual burger chains in my town, and we only eat at one of them. And we only eat at one of them because my oldest son, who's going into seventh grade, he said, that's the one. Well, why is that the one? That's the one because it's good, and that's the one that the most popular kid in my grade said is his one. Right? <laughs> so, that's so we what do. Speaks. So we go to Mooyah over Bear Burger, Smash Burger, and, and Five Guys. But uh-huh. don't feel bad for Five Guys because the grade above, they all go to Five Guys, right? Like it's very much a grade <laughs> thing. It's a status thing, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the consumer. That's who we're trying to drive loyalty from. You know, he's Gen Alpha. Our kids are Gen Alpha. Mm-hmm. The number one reason why Gen Alpha eats at a restaurant is because it's the place their friends want to go right? So, um, your decision, my decision on what fast food we're going to eat, you know, this week is, is predicated on our kids friend group. And that mm-hmm. that's a really weird thing to get your, your arms around your mind around, but you look at the way our industry operates, right? I, I, I get served loyalty stuff. That's like, you know, you should come in here for lunch Monday to Friday, and we'll give you a free milkshake with the purchase of a burger right mm. and And the photo on this thing, I actually have it on my phone i re- I look at it every day because it reminds me it's it 's a sixty ish year old woman, so it 's like so that 's what you see me as. You <laughs> see me as a sixty year old woman uh-huh. and you think that I, for some reason, am your loyal customer, not my son, and i 'm coming to you for some reason, all the time, except during the week between twelve and two, so you 're going to incent me to come for a reason that's not the reason that I've eaten at your restaurant 18 times in the last year. Mm. Right. So we, uh, we're very, very much looking at loyalty a little differently saying, what do we need to do to get families into big chicken? What do we need to do to drive big fun? How do we encourage teenage friend cohorts to want their meal to be with us? How do we have fun with them with, I mean, we have foosball and NBA jam in most of our restaurants how do you get a high school to do like a foosball tournament on a Saturday and you have every kid eating a sandwich and a milkshake? How how do you do these things where for the entire grade, multiple grades, it's my spot is big chicken? So long answer to a short question, but that's that's sort of how we're getting a big fun in the Shaquille values across guest and across uh team.
0: And and I know you've talked too about how you've got Know, gen x and millennial managers and owners boomer owners uh gen z working gen alpha customers how do you how do you do all of what you were just saying but making sure it's authentic because when a boomer tries to do a tiktok for a gen alpha or gen z it's not going to come across as authentic
2: most likely not right mm-hmm. and and i think that's where the art and the science have to sort of blur and and you're going to need to try things and you know, if you do things inauthentically, it doesn't work. But if you're authentically trying, people will give you the benefit of the doubt. And if you're open to feedback, and if you project yourself as a continuous improvement organization, as we actively strive, people would have no problem saying to you, hey, you missed it this time. But we know you care, Mm -hmm. right? And if I know you care, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You're not trying to be inauthentic. You just swung and missed. And that's okay, right? So there's a piece of that. And then The second piece of it, you know, a lot of people know I used to work for Anheuser-Busch. We're not going to get in all that, right? (laughs) But, you know, it was run by Brazilians and they would speak in Portuguese to each other and they would speak English to me because they needed to know that I understood, right? And they needed to understand that I was on the bus. So if you think about language a little differently, Boomer has a set of language. Gen X has a set of language. There's no reason why you and I can't talk to each other in our age but figure out how to communicate differently. And by no means am I saying let's walk around, you know, throwing out all the jargony words and everything else. But, you know, where you and I might have a longer conversation and we might want to do a performance review together, I can just as easily give an eight-second blurb to a to a 24-year-old and give them feedback on every shift. Mm. And I could stay authentic to my values and what we want to do while I do both. It's just speaking generationally. So I, I you know – I consider myself multilingual because I'm actively learning. I'm conversational. I'm not fluent. Right. But, I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm trying to learn boomer X, Y, Z, alpha yeah. in a way that makes sense.
0: Well, I think that's really smart because I think, you know, as I become an old man, I, you know, I, I start to do the kids these days, you know, and realize generations all do this. Right. They all look at the younger generation, and say kids these days. Yeah. But you really do have to get on their level, particularly if you're managing them. Right.
2: Y- you have to. Right. It's like it's like. Your kids, you know, in that if you try to talk to your kids like the these kids these days, they're going to be like, my my dad sucks, right? <laughs> you know? yeah. And and if you try to talk to them in a way that makes sense to them, it's going to break through. And, you know, the goal has to be to break through. And we have to recognize as an industry that, you know, we sort of weren't – we didn't have our eye on the ball during COVID, right? We didn't have, you know, this transition of, of from Y to Z happened during COVID, right? So we all went away in March of 2020, and we had one set of staff, and we came back 18 months later, more or less, and it was a completely different paradigm, and we all need to catch up.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've known you since Big Chicken was only a handful of stores, and you used to talk in a lot, a lot of hypotheticals. 26 stores open now. You guys, you really know what you're dealing with at this point. What What have you learned in this process about the Big Chicken brand?
2: Yeah, you know, I think it's a couple things. One, we're able to have big fun in a way that surprises people and doesn't surprise them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, uh, when we signed the first ever restaurant in outer space, you know, and <laughs> you and I talked about that, you know, months before it happened, yeah. I said, you can't tell anybody. Were so right? secretive. Yeah. so <laughs> secretive. But I mean, we, uh, when I sent the note to, to Bob Smith, the CEO of blue origin, I'm like, he's never going to write back. And he wrote back that day and was like, this is <laughs> amazing. Right. This is fun. Right. So there's, that's really one piece of it. I think the second piece is everyone knows that Shaquille's a part of it, but like we don't overwhelm with Shaquille and the brand is able to stand without Shaquille because of the quality of the food. And I think the third piece of it is, you know, and and it, I was just talking to Kathleen Wood about it today, you know, cuz she's so into that founderology mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things that you think you have really really right when you have two units, as you scale you realize Well, they were really, really right for two units, but they weren't right for 26 units. So how do you, you know, tweak and evolve versus pendulum swing to make sure that the founder's mentality is still dead on, but that you're setting yourself in a position to grow?
0: When you have 300, what's the challenge? I mean, how do you keep that founder mentality at 300? I think this is something that history is all the restaurant chains that cross that point. I think they find it's very difficult because you're in a sort of a different ballgame at that point.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. But there are certain values, and if you stick to your true north, right, like our true north is we're always going to be a continuous improvement company. Our true north is we're always going to care about culinary quality, right? Our true north is uh, the love for our entire system and having a partnership approach across our guests, our franchisees, our suppliers, and our franchisor, uh, meaning us. So as long as we don't walk away from those sort of universal truths – you know we will continue to grow and you know uh we just had our first franchise conference 125 people and which was unbelievable we'll walk out on stage because there was none of that 2 years ago right <laughs> yeah. and uh you know what i basically said is like everyone needs to remember we are a gifted 5 year old <laughs> but we are only 5 years old yeah. right so we you know most 5 year olds are you know entering kindergarten eating paste picking their nose you know we're winning industry awards we're being asked by sam to join the nation's restaurant news podcast right like most five-year-olds don't get that Mm -hmm. um and and we're really blessed and fortunate that we've been able to do that and you know we really look at um the guys that came before us you know we study chick-fil-a we study raising canes and not just what they're doing now but we studied the way that they grew you know zaxby's is another one um and you know To see the way that they grew and evolved, if you had told those companies at five years old, this is what they would be later. I mean, at five years old, Chick-fil-A was the name of a sandwich on the Dwarf Grills menu in a small town in Georgia, right? Now look at them. So um, we're going to continue growing, but no different than Chick-fil-A and Raising Cane's. We're going to stick to our values, and that's going to be what guides us towards True North.
0: Obviously a lot to be excited about with big chicken what, what's the thing that you're most excited about? What are you looking ahead to the future and, and getting excited about?
2: Yeah, I think the thing that excites me the most is, you know, with, with Shaquille, you never exactly know where growth is going to come from, right? And I think that's one of the really cool things. Some people would find that very daunting, right? But I mean, I got to be on a commercial for Google Workspace last year out mm. of left field, right? Um, we get calls from franchisees all over the world right um saying hey we'd be interested in in being your guy in our country um the fact that the journey isn't as scripted as hey we're in these four cities today and we hope to add these two cities you know in the next three years it, it's one of those things that it, it's it's awe-inspiring and quite honestly uh, uh, overwhelming at times but it's really incredible to think about too how fast we can move and how far we can
0: all right, I'm here with Jeff Alexander of WowBow. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate being here. We're here in Amelia Island at the Prosper event, uh, which is all about leadership. But I want to talk with you about specifically innovation because you guys are innovators. We just announced we're giving you a creator award at Create here in a few weeks uh, because of all the innovation. And uh, we'll get to it. But I want to start just more broadly uh, and ask you, what what's your what's your approach to innovation? When you think about innovation at WowBow, very broadly, how do you approach it?
3: Well, first off, I want to thank you for the acknowledgement for the, uh, the award. And uh, you said you're giving me the award. You're not giving me the award. You're giving me bow. It's a Oh, team. yes, we're putting wow it's a on that team, yes. Yeah. It is a team win <laughs> uh, that, uh, that, gets, that gets us to where we need to be. And uh, uh, the, uh, as far as innovation goes, you know, what's important in your business is you have to always evolve. And if you're not evolving, then you're not growing. And evolution is based on innovation. What we try to do is we try to find ways to enhance uh our customer experience, our employees' uh way of life right way of life being how hard they're working what they have to get done, how it affects their day and uh if you can win on both those two pieces, you found something that's really good if you find one that only does one of the two it can you gotta you gotta trick it out in a way to keep it moving forward mm-hmm. but we look at innovation always as What's keeping us at the forefront as our uh, that's sort of our superpower. It always puts us in front of other people because we're willing to innovate. We're a small team. We're twenty three people in an office, so we can move very quickly uh, and test things and try things. And because we have so many different verticals for our business, a lot of different innovations play well for us because we could try it in any different way.
0: Sure. All right. So let's get into some of your specific innovations. Let's we'll start with the NFT. Tell me about the NFT loyalty program. How does that work?
3: Yeah, so in 2022, we launched a rewards program for our third-party delivery, right? We have 700 uh, partners running our virtual brand across the U.S. and Canada, and there's no rewards or loyalty in the third-party delivery space. So we decided to do a rewards where for every $100 you spend – or every dollar you spend, you get a point, 100 points, $100, gets you $7 free. And when we – Came back a year later, and we wanted to, again, evolve it and make it better. We added an NFT component. We actually don't call it NFTs because it's a negative connotation. We call it digital collectibles. Okay. And for the play on Bow, we did digital, digital collectibles. Mm. And what we did is we made it a loyalty membership program. So for $99, you get your own individual, unique, uh, digitally ram- uh, randomized uh, collectible that is yours. You put on the blockchain. You use it. You want to use it. And then it gets you additional features, benefits that are exclusive to you, 10% off food orders, 10% off our merchandise, double reward points. And we really did that to try to go from a simple rewards program to a loyalty to really find people who care about our brand and want to represent our brand and take more advantage of what we can offer.
0: So that has to go through the WowBow website because you do so much third-party delivery. How does that work? With the third parties involved.
3: Yeah. So if you order from WoWBow.com, which is what we actually want to do, we want to get people off the third party delivery platforms for a number of reasons. The biggest reason is no data gets shared with us. So if we move people to wowbow.com, we now own that customer's data information. We can do better targeting and marketing to them on a repeat basis. We can do find better lookalike customers to continue to market to. So that's where we put the rewards program. And then the loyalty now plays off of that same platform. Sure.
0: All right, so speaking of service, you're also innovating as far as how you're getting Baos to people. You have a vending machine. What's that all about?
3: Yeah, we partner with a group out of Florida, Automated Retail, where they do hot food vending machines. Uh, and our product works really, really well in it. We do our bow, We do our dumplings. We do our egg rolls. We're getting close to doing our fried rice in it. And uh, they have two types of machines. They have one that is branded their company machine, mm-hmm. which has multiple different foods that work in the hot food vending, and we're in those. And then they also made a fully uh, 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 a fully branded Wow machine that is only doing Wow products. And there are about 250 total machines, branded and unbranded for Wow uh, across the U.S. that are deployed right now today. With you know they they have a number in mind of what they say they're going to continue to roll out, but they're moving at a very good pace.
0: And how do you maintain those? Does that company maintain the, and stock them and all that? Like how's the operation? They simply
3: manufacture the machines and then they send them out to people. And what they do is there are vending machine operators. There are, they're put in hospitals. So the hospital might maintain it. They're in college campuses. So a third party, uh, a person who's, or a company that does all the food might do it or the 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 college itself. Uh, It just depends on where they're located, but we see these in manufacturing plants, military bases, college campuses, uh, uh, Police stations, fire stations. I mean, there's so many different places. Airports, obviously, they can go to. Uh, but it's, it's what's very cool about it is I think there's about seven different items in the machine. Uh, we have six different food items in the machine. But when I say seven, it, not, it might not even be that high. The point of that is there's not a lot of other brands that could be doing what we're doing. Right. And it becomes another vehicle for us to transport our food to the consumer's hand, which is great. It gives us another great marketing presence. And it becomes now, you know, we have this play because our food is so versatile. I believe we have a responsibility and I, I mean responsibility to get our food to consumers in every way possible because it can be everywhere. That's why we do the dark kitchens, the brick and mortar, the airports, the college campuses, the vending machines, third party deliveries, CPG, grocery fresh. It just our, our product really lends itself to a wide variety of getting it out there.
0: And you've just announced that you're also doing a CPG deal with Walmart, right? So this is all about access to your bow buns for the customer, right? I mean, is, is that where your innovation goes? You just continually find ways to so customers can access the bow.
3: Yeah, and thank you. So two days ago, it's forty eight hours ago, this past Saturday, the twenty sixth, we launched three thousand and forty eight Walmart locations in the freezer case with five SKUs, three SKUs that are of our traditional and two that are exclusive just to Walmart. But when Wild Bow started in two thousand and three, there's there's this uh, ghost story that. Rich Melman gave away who's the founder of let us entertain you gave away 50,000 bow that first year. Cause no one knew what bow was. Oh yeah. I took over the concept in Oh nine. And in 2011, we did Lollapalooza, which is an outdoor music festival, hundred thousand people a day over three days. And I remember that first year, no one knew what our food was. Now remember the brand's already six years old based in Chicago in the Chicago festival, in 2012, when we did Lollapalooza again, people were like, you were my favorite festival food. I'm so glad you're back. So, what? But today, on the scale of the United States, bao's been around for thousands of years, but it is not widely known in the United States. Yeah. Especially ours, which is the traditional fully enclosed bao. A lot of chefs around the country have been doing uh, open face bao, almost like a taco, but not a crispy tortilla, but the soft Asian dough. And that's how they use it as a vehicle for their food. But for our traditional Bao and for Bao as a whole, it's not, it's not a household name by any means. Right. We are taking on as a mission to do two things. One, to educate the consumer about what Bao is and how great it is, and B, to become that household brand of Bao. So by being in 3,000 Walmarts now and being in other grocery stores – a year ago, we were at 350 total grocery stores across the country – We're going to finish 2023 probably in the neighborhood of 6,000, almost 7,000 grocery stores between both frozen and fresh. So we're doing a huge push to get the food out there as well as we just signed a national broker. And our goal is to be at, you know, double or triple that number next year.
0: Sure. I mean, it seems like it's like marketing, right? I mean, the education, it's all marketing. This is a billboard out around the country for WowBow.
3: Yeah. And it's not only WowBow. Yes. uh, Look, we're selfish, right? We're capitalists. We need to make money and we need yeah. to go. But at the same time, it's a great food that doesn't, people don't know about. And we can help that mom-and-pop bao shop in X-City, USA, by help creating recognition of this food. Now, what our goal is in that is to be the leader in the category, right? We want everyone to be compared to Wow Bao, mm. right? When we first started off with Wow Bao, obviously the Chinese-American food is Panda Express, right? You try to go scale on Chinese food, it's Pan Express. You try to do scale on chicken sandwiches, it's Chick-fil-A, right? We want to be the standard that everyone is measured against, and we want to be at the forefront always. And that's why we have the NFTs, the self-ordering kiosks, the third-party delivery, the virtual restaurants. We have all these pieces going so that when other players come into the game, they're always chasing us because we're always so far ahead. And what will be next for us well, not, it's not even on the radar for other groups right now.
0: So you guys were really one of the first to come into that dark kitchen space, as you call it. It's really evolved over the last couple of years. There have been some sort of high-profile controversies within the industry, let's say. how How is it going for WowBow? How is that strategy evolving?
3: Yeah, so look, the, we got into the dark kitchen space or the virtual space, however you want to refer to it. Uh, late 2019, pre-pandemic. And the idea was we could help restaurants who needed another revenue stream grow sales. That's why we got into it. Uh, and then when COVID came, it just accelerated the growth, right? And we did 700 locations, in three years, helped a lot of people pay rent, keep employees uh, on board and so on. And this negativity that's going on right now, it, it's, it's a little bit ludicrous for me, right? Because those other companies, have done the same thing that we've done. They've helped a lot of people make money. Yeah. At the same time, you could open a single restaurant tomorrow, and you're going to have problems. We're not. We're we're beating around the bush here about who we're talking about. But that large scale growth opened two thousand locations in like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. That is unheard of. For I sure. mean, it's unheard of. I was just talking with Scott Boatwright of Chipotle just a few minutes before you and I are meeting. He said they're at the stage right now. They're opening a new Chipotle every 30 hours. Every 30 hours. Wild. I love Chipotle. They have their systems down. I believe in Scott. I believe in what they're doing. I'm sure they're going to have bumps. I mean, how do they not? Right. So to think that you're doing this virtual space and there's not going to be hurdles or problems is silly. We have operators who don't always perform the way we want them to. And it's our job to educate and help them and work with them and make it better. And continue to evolve like we're doing with the rewards and the loyalty and the NFT to help grow their sales. But the industry is made up of haters. People are not gonna like your food. People are not gonna like the service. People are gonna find ways to complain and people are gonna mess up. It's how those companies react to the negative. Mm-hmm. Right? Are they in, are they making it better? Are they pushing it forward? That's the important piece, mm. and we take that very serious. We have someone who's stationed on customer service, who's reading and replying to everybody. We're working with our partners about the right way to execute. And what's nice about WowBow is we have co-packers who put us into distribution. All you're doing is steaming the product. Right. You can't really mess it up. Now, can you forget? Can you make the order wrong? Certainly. Can the order be cold? Certainly. But you can't really not follow the way it's supposed to be prepared. And that's, our, that's our, our, our superpower in making the Dark Kitchen successful.
0: Yeah, that's great. Last question for you, Jeff. Talking about innovation, what's around the corner? All these things, exciting things have come out the last year. What are you thinking about next?
3: You know, what's been very good for WowBow and it has been very successful for myself is we have an idea and we run with it. And we get it to a certain point and then we give that project to somebody. So I was running the dark kitchen space for the first two and a half years of, of it. And now we have somebody on our team. Her name is Carrie Polson, and she's doing a tremendous job. I started the CPG business, and now we give it to someone named Brandon Tomorrow on our team, and he's this, the point person. He's the one who's making Walmart happen and getting it going. And when you have great people on your team who you can entrust to continue the business going forward, now, look, I guide, I help, I teach, but it allows me to say, okay, what can we do next? Right, We found the vending machines. Take him on my team now as the point person for our vending machine program. We have our, our NFT project. I turned that over to the marketing department, right? So when you say what's next, well, that's my job, mm. right, to find what is next for us to go. We're, we have uh, uh, three or four hotel groups we're talking to right now about working with them for delivery in-house and catering. We're talking to a very, very large, well-known uh, amusement group to do something with them in, in the beginning of the year. So there's there's definitely no shortage of opportunity and excitement. And uh, as far as technology and what's happening next, we got into the NFT space with hopes of growing the metaverse, uh, putting our, our hot food vending machines in the metaverse so people, when they're gaming or experimenting, they could just order food and have it delivered. We're excited to continue to pursue that. We have a partner who's going to be, our I think, our first test site coming up shortly for that. So there's, there's a lot of good and excitement coming. We will, we will give you plenty of reasons to invite me back for another talk.
0: <laughs> More awards in your future, I assume. That, that would be nice, but it's <laughs>
3: – it's, look, uh, again, it's, I, I'm very lucky and very fortunate with the team that we have. Yeah. Very fortunate. Those were my
0: interviews with Andre Venner, Jeff Alexander, and Josh Halpern. So what should you learn from these interviews? Here are my seven takeaways. My first takeaway is that tech innovation requires smart tech minds in your leadership positions. Andre told us all about how Michael Montagano, the former CEO of Kitchen United, is now CEO at Doghouse, and he explained his reasoning for why Michael was hired for that position. Part of it was, of course, Michael was close with the guys at Doghouse, close with Andre, and it was a good fit. But the other part, and I think this is really important for you to remember in your own organization. Technology is driving everything you're doing today, and that will continue. Technology will be at the center of all restaurant operations going forward. Your leaders need to have a tech mindset. Of course, you should have a CTO. You should have a chief technology officer, 100%, if you don't go find one right now. But consider the fact that as you continue to scale and innovate and grow, you'll have to have you'll have to have leadership beyond the CTO position that is familiar with technology that in the future, site selection is going to involve technology. Your service model will involve obviously involve technology. All these different functions will involve technology in a way that will probably necessitate other leaders being tech experts. So think about that as you hire and as you, as you grow your team, that, the more smart tech minds you have on the team, the better for you as technology becomes more and more important to the core of your business model. My second takeaway is that carryout innovation is key to alleviating fee fatigue. Uh, Fee fatigue is very real right now, and you're probably feeling it in your own organization. Customers are tired of all of the fees that are being slapped onto, yes, of course, delivery, third-party vendors, but even in all sorts of different ways in which fees are uh, adding up and leading to exorbitant prices that they do not want to pay anymore. Andre talked about the fact that fee fatigue is really, is probably preventing a lot more innovation on the delivery side of the business. And as he looks forward into their future innovation, he wants to figure out how to innovate around carryout. So he talked about the example of in and out drive through. It can take you 20 minutes to get through an in and out drive through. But if you figured out how to solve for that bottleneck and if you figured out how people can order ahead and as they're driving by the in, in and out, just get their uh, order handed right to them, that is a great unlock. And And that's true of most businesses. If you can solve for how to make your food conveniently available and accessible quickly for guests who want to swing by and pick it up, avoid the delivery fee by coming by, but don't want to spend too much time sitting there waiting for it. That carryout innovation, that could be a big, big, uh, that could have big, big potential for your business going forward as customers look at the carryout business increasingly and away from delivery. My third takeaway is that you can't grow without innovation. This might seem like one of those obvious ideas, uh, but Jeff and his talking about why innovation is so key at WowBow and why we uh, recently recognized WowBow with one of our creator awards for their innovation, he said, if you're not evolving, you're not growing and evolution is based on innovation. If growth is in your future, if you want to grow your business, you have to innovate so think about ways in which you, your brand can innovate. For WowBow, he says innovation keeps them at the forefront, and that's certainly true. WowBow is constantly doing things that get our attention in the media, but it's, it's especially getting customers' attention. They have figured out how to get bow Buns in front of customers in very clever and unique ways and to educate customers on what the Bao Bun even is. And they're a small team. And Jeff noted that they are able to be flexible and nimble in trying new things. And if they don't work, they don't work. They can move past it quickly. But they are trying. That's the important part. They're innovating. And I think you should consider that in your own business if you want to grow, that you are going to have to innovate and try to move quickly on that innovation if you want to evolve and grow. My uh, fourth takeaway is that innovation is not without bumps in the road, but how you navigate those those bumps will ultimately decide your fate. I was curious to talk to Jeff about the recent developments in virtual brands in particular. You probably know all about Next Bite and Mr. Beast Burger and the failures of those uh, particular companies and brands. And uh, I was curious because WowBow is so invested in what they call dark kitchens, but ultimately are uh, virtual brands and selling their. Product through host kitchens. I was curious if they see that similar, if they've seen trouble in that um, in that operation. But Jeff pointed out, you know, if you scale too quickly, no matter if you're brick and mortar or a virtual brand, if you scale too quickly, you're going to hit bumps in the road. You're going to have troubles, and a lot of the trouble we've seen out there in virtual brands so far are mostly because we see a lot of these organizations just just going full speed ahead into the future and maybe not slowing down and thinking about how to fix some of those operational issues. Jeff pointed out that for WowBow, they along the way have tried to solve for every problem they've had. They have dedicated people on their team who are working with partners in the dark kitchen business. They're trying to improve the product. They're trying to improve the service. Uh, The point of it is, is that Yes, there have been failures in virtual brands. There have been bumps along the road, but a lot of the high-profile failures we've seen perhaps have come from the fact that these bumps weren't properly navigated. WowBow wants to prove that the virtual brand dark kitchen model can work so long as you can look at, at what those issues are, what those bumps in the road are, navigate around them, solve for them, and improve the business continuously. My fifth takeaway is that culture is hard to develop once you're at scale. So you should start early. This came from Josh at big chicken and big chicken has 26 locations open today and 300 more in the pipeline. We've been talking to Josh for the last two years. Uh, Of course, this brand, uh, which was developed by Shaquille O'Neal, this is has incredible potential and is uh, absolutely growing quickly. And uh, Josh talked about the fact that you know he may not even have a CMO yet, but he already has hired a vice president of people and culture. And there's a reason for that. It's because once they get to those 300 locations that they have in the pipeline, they can't retroactively add culture. They can't retroactively build this structure for their people that builds that great culture. You have to do that really from day one. And so uh, now ahead of this tremendous growth they're going to experience, they're planning ahead and planning how to develop culture and then scale it. It's a really important thing to note for any other growing company is that if culture is important to you, you have to plan ahead of your growth because it's hard to scale that. Or It's hard to get to scale and then grow it. You have to grow it and then scale it, if that makes sense. Uh, My sixth takeaway is that your workforce is probably Gen Z. So you should train them as such. Uh, Another great uh, idea from Josh about how, you know, he sees his workforce increasingly uh, moving toward Gen Z uh, employees. And I I love how he talked about, you know, in the past, you would have a training binder, but workers today want eight second videos like TikTok. Or in the past, you would have an annual performance review. But today's employees, they want daily constant feedback. That's because Gen Z, they operate differently than even millennials, but especially from Gen X and from uh, boomers. You have to consider the generational differences in your organization, as Josh was talking about doing at Big Chicken, and, and uh, get at their level. Train them as they uh, expect to be trained and as will resonate with them. Talk to them as they expect to be spoken to. Uh, uh, just accommodate them and their generational differences, because if you don't, they're not going to want to work for you. <laughs> so consider that and how your Gen Z workforce wants to be approached, trained, and dealt with. My seventh and final takeaway is that if you authentically try to meet your teams where they are, they'll give you the benefit of the doubt. So coming again out of that generational conversation, as Josh was talking about, you know, the, the younger generations, they can smell if you are being inauthentic with how you're trying to deal with them. If you're trying to stoop to their level and speak their language, as Josh put it, um, they know if it's BS. They know if it's inauthentic. But as he put it, you know, that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. You should try, but try to be authentic about it. Because he said, if you swing and miss, they respect at least that you're trying. So, with your younger employees, the young folks in your organization, don't 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 try to make it. Uh, don't try to fake your way through. I guess speaking with them, training them, um, and managing them. Try to speak their language, and even if it fails, if you are authentically trying, they will respect you for that. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback. You can also email me at
3: sam.ocus at informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.